Good evening and welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. We are your one-stop shop for Friday night old movie magic. My name is Tosin and we are broadcasting from Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. With me in the studio today are Sharon. Hello. Hello, Sharon. Sean. Hi, yeah. Yeah, Sean, who's just been in the hospital himself. I have, yeah. Just had a major op, and uh, but they were really, really good. Yeah, they even let him out to be on the radio. They did, bless And him. Joe. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Joe. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. Enjoying the sunshine. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff, man. That's what it's there for. I love White sunniest place in the UK, apparently. Anyway, we have been away three weeks, and in the time that we've been gone, there, have been, there has been some sad and rather seismic departures from the world of film. Uh, first of all, we would like to talk about Ron Moody, who is best known for being, playing Fagin in the movie version of Oliver, a film that I did not realize had shaped a lot of my view of the Oliver Twist story before I had even watched it. It's like, you know, you know the whole sort of like, please, I can have some more. And the, more! <laughs> that was kind of one of the main things I actually knew about Oliver Twist, and I didn't realize until years later when I watched the film that that's where it came from. Ah. Yeah, but you guys, uh, any memories of um, Ron Moody and as Fagin in Oliver? Yeah, well, he's definitely, he's, I mean, he's the iconic um, reviewing the situation. I think that's the most famous, it's got to be his, his um, most famous role, isn't it, really, in that musical? Well, yeah, that's yeah. It. Yeah, I think I think it's really it's probably the one that, it's the one that put him on the map, and it's, uh, because we were thinking, we can't really think of much else that he's done, but that one role that he did is just going to live on forever. Yeah, yep. it's a classic, isn't it? It is a classic. It's like it's nice because it, Oliver is a British musical, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it couldn't be made anywhere else. The, the whole sensibility <laughs> of that <laughs> film and Fagin couldn't be anyone other than that this East End Jew, could he? He's yeah. that is who yeah. he is. Yeah. And so I think I don't think that film in that way with that cast could have been made with anybody else. else well with anybody else yeah I, I totally agree with you and in memory of Ron Moody I've picked a song from Oliver he doesn't actually appear in this song but quite frankly there's something about this song that to me just seems right to play right now Yes, R.I.P. Ron Moody. Um, for those of you who are listening to us online, and thank you very much, first of all. And it might have seemed a bit weird now, just now, but that's just because we're only allowed to broadcast, well, we are allowed to broadcast almost any song we like when we're actually going live, but we can't post the shit online with all those songs, so for the online version, we cut them out. But if you're curious, we just played Consider Yourself from the movie that Ron Moody was best known for, Oliver. Toast, can I cut in here? Because there's a fact that Joe, I was just pointing out to Joe, is that um, Ron Moody in 69 had the chance to play Doctor Who after Patrick Troughton, but he declined it. Really? Yeah, a decision he really regretted. It would have been good, wouldn't it? So instead of John Pertwee, we'd have had Ron Moody as Doctor Who. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that would have taken the franchise in a whole different direction, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. I'm just imagining Fagin as Doctor Who now. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how he'd play him. I don't, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I just that's the thing because it's just he's just so linked with this character. Yeah. I just can't imagine how he play him. I suppose he could be a sort of Fagin character type Doctor Who, I guess, with kids everywhere. Perhaps, perhaps that's why they chose him because, um, you know, because John Pertwee, he was a bit of a a dandy, wasn't he? A bit yeah, he was uh, yeah. dandy. Yeah. True. Uh, well, yes, R.P. Ron Moody, yeah. and um, also, and also, he wasn't the only person who left us in the last three weeks. Uh, when I originally came up with the idea for this show and ran the idea past Joe and Sean, 
um, that we were going to be talking about old movies, there was one man who was inevitably going to feature due to his longevity in the film industry, if nothing else. And he duly showed up in our first ever show as the answer to our film star quiz, our movie legend quiz. And that man was Sir Christopher Lee, who died on the Sunday, the day before Ron Moody did. Guys, Christopher Lee. Christopher what to say? Legend, legend. not just in yeah. movies, but just as a guy. I mean, I the know. things he's done. There was a, an ep, a, a issue of Empire magazine once where they had a, a massive feature on him and they listed all the things that Christopher Lee had done that you would never do. And most of them <laughs> are absolutely true. He'd done things that people, most people would never even get the opportunity to think about doing, let alone do. I know, it's brilliant. I mean, I mean, we were discussing another way about favourite roles, but I mean, it's really, Cheese. really tough. Yeah, it's really Bacon. Tough. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, well, I know you're a big bacon fan. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> that's not the point. Uh, so, yeah, that's Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, I just love their meat. Um, do you know a role I always remember him in as being totally scat? He was the Wicker Man. You know, what's Lord Summer. Lord Summer. Did he say that was his favourite role? Yeah. I think he might his have own done. favourite. Yeah. yeah, the part he played. I think for me, he'll always he will always be Dracula. Oh yeah, well, he, I mean, he, was, he was the first person I ever saw for ages. I actually thought Christopher Lee was Dracula. So <laughs> yeah. when I when I saw him in any other film, I was scared. I'll be like, get away! He's gonna bite you! He's gonna eat your neck! Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But then he was in the Bond film, wasn't he? He was the man with the golden Scar- gun. Scaramanga. Yeah, the first time I saw that, I thought he was gonna bite James Bond's neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so but, again, quite versatile. He was very versatile, wasn't he? He wasn't just this. Yeah, no, no, he, he really English was. Toff, he played all sorts of... Because uh, yeah. I actually, earlier today, on, on our Facebook page, yes. I posted I posted this video mm. that because the BFI, mm. they made one of his early, early films, it's like a short 19-minute film called Crossroads, available for free for anybody to watch it. And you're looking at it, and he's just kind of... It's like, it's Christopher Lee, you can see it's Christopher Lee, but he's not doing all the stuff that he kind of got known for. Mm. And I feel like he, he is like, as Joe was saying, he had all this other stuff that he did, that he, I think he was happy to be known for being Dracula and being on all these gothic movies and all that kind of stuff, but he didn't let it stop him doing all the other stuff that he wanted to no, do. He was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, wasn't he, with Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp's dad. Was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's a mad dentist. Yeah, he moves the house, literally moves house. Moves <laughs> I think that's hilarious. There's a big gap missing in this row of terraces. He's moved house. He's gone. <laughs> There's a great story from the set of Lord of the Rings where there's some some guys being stabbed in a battle scene or something, and Peter Jackson's directing them, and they're going ah, and Christopher Lee just comes over and goes, no, no, Peter, that's not how someone sounds when they're stabbed to death. It's more, <laughs> it's more like this, and they're like everyone, the whole crew are just like, oh my god, he's witnessed people dying. How do you know that? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, and there's just like this respectful silence as he walks away. Well, the thing is, the thing is, it's not even that he'd witnessed people dying; is that he had stabbed people. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Because he was in the because in the war he was, he was in the army, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in the army. I think he was in something that was kind of like the SAS. So yeah. he knew about covering up and stabbing people. So he was like, no, that's not. And the I remember the first time, Joe, uh, Sean, you were saying the first time we did the sh- we did the movie legend quiz on the show, and you um because Joe comes up with four clues which we shall be doing again today, Joe and um and he said that there was one clue that threw you wasn't there totally. Sean? He, he, Joe does it to me all the time. He's his his classic trick is to I think yes I've got it I've got it I've got it and then the very last clue he gives me just t- sends me on a different tangent. I think no it can't be you. I was thinking of all those other clues. So, um, yeah. but yeah, no. In this particular clue, it was it was saying this, you know, longest actor film with Errol Flynn, and it was going all this, and I thought, yeah, I think I know this. And then he said the last clue was, this guy has had a top ten heavy metal album, and I'm like, 
Whoa, well, it can't be Christopher Lee then. I couldn't imagine him. It'd be ridiculous. How could Christopher Lee possibly be into metal music? You know, but it was. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy, and especially when you think about it, that he's the, he, this is a man who has been in film in the film industry for so long that he was in movies both with Errol Flynn and Freddie Highmore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just it's just like what the heck? Oh, because he had in the Star Wars movies Star and the Lord yeah. of the Rings movies. It's like it's just uh, so a few generations sort of picked up on him, didn't they? Really, yeah. and he carried it torch from yeah. his career for the next ten years. Yeah. And, years. and and uh, one of the things that I thought was impressive it wasn't that they weren't just picking him up to act as a homage to what he used to be doing. No, it was a new. It was it was new stuff. Time, yeah. it was new stuff. And the fact that he died at the age of ninety three, and. The fact that he was that old, and even though he was that old, and he, when he died, I, I saw the news story and I was still shocked. I was like, but he looked so healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looked so healthy. He was still in like, film roles a couple of years ago. Well, yeah, Star Wars. He was still like a, a yeah. building a lightsaber. Yeah, like yeah. J- jumping around fighting Yoda and all that. And it's, and, uh, it's, yeah, he's, yeah, it's, uh, well, I think just from what you can see, Wikipedia page, all that kind of stuff, amazing guy, amazing life, and, uh, all I can say is, oh, R.I.P. Rest in peace, Sir Christopher Lee, and thank you for the memories that will never die. Or oh, fang you for the memories. <laughs> oh, yes. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, give Good me something action. back from uh, that. Uh, okay, see, so yes, as is Christopher Lee, I think he would actually have appreciated that. So, well done, Joe. He was also the only uh, member of Lord of the Rings uh, crew and cast that had actually met Tolkien. Yes. Oh yeah! How cool is that? He was like the oracle. They're like, so what would Tolkien have said? He, yeah, he, that's quite cool. Yeah, no, it's it's just kind of like there's there's a bit about there's something about him that seems just kind of unreal to me. I feel like he's one like one of those eternal, you know, eternal people who just say you're thinking yeah. exactly how old is this guy? How yeah. long well, has he been around? It was a genuine shock when you hear he's dead because you're like that guy is never supposed to die. He's not supposed he's, to he's, die. He's the only guy that is never supposed to die, and we're all okay with that. What happened? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's what I say. Rest in peace. Now, continuing in a theme of remembrance, Sharon, could you please tell us what our, fir- our first film choice is tonight? Our first film tonight is in remembrance of the fact that it's 200 years since the Battle of Waterloo. Yesterday. It was yesterday. It was fought on the 18th day of June, 1815. Okay, and so we're going to be talking about Waterloo. Yes. That's the 1970 movie. And from the film Waterloo, here is uh, something from the soundtrack called On to Brussels by Nino Rota. I believe that's how I pronounce it. Yes, that was Unto Brussels from the Waterloo movie soundtrack. Nice bit of stirring music there. That's all the French troops marching. Is it? Is it? Well, there's masses, columns of French troops all marching to that towards the towards the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Sean, our resident war movie expert. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, as much as I would love a history lesson because I'm a bit hazy about the Battle of Waterloo and why it's so important, we don't have much time. So let's just stick to what stick does the, the film? film. Yeah. yeah. What does the film? Do? What does the film tell us? Mate, loads of stars. Thousands of, well, not thousands, but thousands lots of, of actors stars. in it. Thousands, thousands of, actors, of characters, that's what I yeah. meant, yeah. But our main protagonists, we've got Wellington and Napoleon. Okay. The Duke of Wellington, head of all the Allied forces, because it was a, wasn't just the British, it was the Russians, there were the Belgians, there, there were... There, there weren't any Russians, there was Dutch, Belgians... Well, the, and, the Alliance, yeah, the, the Allies, yeah. included, but the, the Russians weren't at the battle, but they included... But Napoleon led, no, sorry, Wellington led that, the Alliances. Okay. Uh, and he's played by Christopher Plummer. Okay. And then we've got Napoleon, who is played by Rod Steiger. And these are two protagonists who, in real life, both men were exactly the same age, were born in the same year, and they had sort of not similar upbringings, but their military careers more or less run parallel to each other. But this is the first time they actually met face-to-face. And it's at the end of what is called the Peninsula Wars. 
and the Napoleonic Wars. And so this marks basically the, the fall of Napoleon, where he'd been on, he'd had an up and down life. But this is like the, the, the ultimate confrontation between these two people who were like the best generals of their age. Mm-hmm. Napoleon famous for like conquering all of Europe and heading into Africa and Wellington famous for never losing a battle. Yeah. So that sets the scene. So it's basically this battle of wits between these two great commanders. Right. And it's played out through the battle. And how each, it's like a game of chess. You see, you sort of, you try to see inside the minds of the guys who are making these strategic moves to see, like, hey, if you're going to send your column, I'm going to fight your column with my cavalry. So then, if you send in your light horse, I'm going to put my my soldiers into squares. So it's basically all these moves that are like me- measures and then countermeasures. Yeah. And then how one key event in the battle can turn the whole battle. Whoop. But you see this battle it's of wit, and so you see Rod Steiger and you see Christopher Plummer, and how they're each one of like. Napoleon's famously quite hot-tempered and quite fiery, and Wellington quite cool. And you see both well, these characters played. Can I, can I come in? Yeah, yeah, come in. Can, can I come in I a little I bit? I hear Sean just yeah, like yeah, yeah. dying um, to say something. I am. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, this was. Um, I mean, it was a close-run thing. The, the the bottom line was the Prussians came to the aid at the end. And there's a famous bit in the film where you see Napoleon. and He looks. He goes. Is that is that Prussian black or or because basically the yeah, Prussian was being shadowed by Marshal Salt, which is another, and, and he's in it as well. He got blamed. This guy called Marshal Salt got blamed for for losing the battle, and Napoleon was ill. There's I think there's a bit in it where Rod Steiger has to go and rest, doesn't he? Yeah, because so he he's all on the battlefield. he's all like sweaty and he looks not look poorly. And that's when the French sent in all the heavy cavalry and uh, the British formed squares, and the, the cavalry just got repulsed. So. so so it sounds like this is a film that actually looks. It takes the bat. It, it sounds like it takes the battle and looks into the battle itself in great detail. Yeah, it's got all the key set pieces. So, you before the battle, there's this very famous ball, the ball, the Duchess of Richmond's ball in Brussels, yeah. where all the Allied troops and lots of the soldiers were fighting. Yeah. And then the, the Highlanders come in and they dance for them. Yeah. And then as soon as the word comes that they've engaged with the French, yeah. Before they thought they were the word, the, someone arrives into the ball and says, like, we've engaged with the French." Yeah. And they all go charging off. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a very famous scene with the Highlanders where they've been dancing at the ball, then you suddenly see them marching off. Yeah. And that's one of the key set pieces. And then you've got other events like the squares, the, the, the British squares, and then the cavalry charges, and then the French coming in in column. Because mm-hmm. we've heard the expression of thin, thin red line. Yeah. Well, the thin red line is because the British troops used to fight two oh, or three red, deep in, in a really red. long line in the red tunics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas the French always attacked in column. So it was like a column of like 10 or 15 men wide and marching forward so okay i know that you always talk about like a historical accuracy yeah. in films and everything like that it sounds like it goes into real real detail it How, goes into quite a lot of detail but it, it, there's it, five key points of the battle and it covers those apart from but, so it historic, really at least historically accurate points yeah they, they, they cover the main points that most people know about yeah the so it's actually something you could watch in a history lesson for instance and yeah apart from he doesn't really feature Hugomont, which was quite key to the battle but that's a farmhouse that was okay but sure, sure. Yeah, no, that was sure. major. Hougamont and La Haye Saint were like major pivotal battles where um, they, were about, they were about a mile apart um, on the actual battlefield itself. Okay. And I mean, the, on, on about the film, we talk about the film, which is which is brilliant. Uh, the Duchess of Richmond's Ball. It's a great scene, that, I think. Don't yeah. you, Sharon? Yeah, really, I love really it, good yeah. Scene. 
And um, it's the emotional heart of the film, isn't it? Really, because yeah. you see these these are men going off to war at okay. the end of the day. Perhaps we'll do this another time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. No, sorry. that's okay. Okay, yeah. yeah so, no, no, but Sean, okay, so you were talking about the ball, but just with, with the ball, could you explain to me, if it's supposed to be about a battle and we're supposed to be focused on this battle and it's into detail in the battle, how do we end up in a ball? Yeah, well, well Napoleon land, he's been exiled and he lands and, and he joins the army. He, he forms this grand army and he marches off and first of all, he wants to de- defeat the Prussians. Mm-hmm. And he sends Marshal Salt to to uh, shadow the Prussians, and there's a big battle at Quatre Bras, which is just prior to Waterloo. Yeah. And that's when the German guy, who was in Crossroads, I can't remember the actor's name, but he bursts into this ball and he says, um, "Oh, the the Russians, uh, the Prussians have. Um, there's been a big battle at Quatre Bras." Yeah. And he says, "Oh, we better get everybody together." And that's when they get everybody together and they march to meet Napoleon. So. But and it's then just, it's just a great see, scene. yeah, there's the some great, great there scene. are some great, some of the th- things in a film because it's made at the end of the sixties, nineteen seventy. Yeah, and there's this one scene. There's oh, always one we scene. We hate that. Everybody I talk to hates this one. There's bit, this one lad so. who goes like, why, <laughs> why? And it's like that whole angst of you know our imperial past. Oh yeah. It's like this one character has to sort of represent the fact yeah. that you know really we're celebrating it, but we should feel a little bit guilty about it yeah, as well. That's that so 70s, there's always like this, hangover. but the same thing. Um, but Zulu, we've talked about that before. Oh, yeah, yeah, But there's yeah. a one guy in that who's going, why, why do we kill each other? Yeah, and yeah. there's the guy in Waterloo who does the same thing. So you get these little points throughout the film that reflect the time and also the sensibilities of the time when the film is oh, made. Oh, so it's so essentially... Oh. A bit like a bit like how like when Kurosawa makes a movie, he's kind of sort of apologising for his sort of samurai past yeah. and all that. So kind part of, stuff. of you feels that the, the, that that one guy in there is sort of the filmmaker saying, you know. War is horrible. <laughs> but what great oh, actors? Should we talk? Can we oh, talk yeah, a little yeah, tiny yeah, bit yeah, about yeah, the no, actors? Yeah. I mean, you got Jack Hawkins as um, Picton. He actually got killed at the battle. He was um, Picton. Picton, General yeah. Picton. Okay, General Picton. Yeah. Um, uh, Ponsonby, which was Sharon said, he's, he did the Charge of Light Brigade because there's a, the famous bit in that with the the famous charge of the Scots Greys. Yeah. And these cavalry go charging off and and they don't and they, they, go, they go too the far, finest, don't they? Um, mm. I can remember like the the German marshal saying the finest cavalry in Europe and the most poorly led and old Napoleon says that's as well be but we match them with our lancers and then you hear the old and the lancers come charging to and take out the the, the British cavalry yeah. but there's a great scene as well with Lord Uxbridge isn't there he's, he famously lost a leg at the I Battle think, of Waterloo of, yeah. and he was very cool about it apparently this is what all the accounts say that the shell landed next to them and he was like one horse closer to the shell than Wellington was and it blasted his, it blew off his leg below the knee and someone there. turns down and says my god sir you've lost your leg he's, he says it himself he says <laughs> yeah. oh my god sir I think I've lost my leg and Wellington looks at him and he goes by golly, so I think you have. So you have. And then he collapses and falls off his horse. Yeah, and apparently yeah. when, this is just, a, I don't like to talk about the history of it, but when he was taken and had his, the rest of his leg amputated, he, they didn't have any anaesthetic in those days, and he was on a kitchen table in the, in a farmhouse nearby. Yeah. And the only comment he was known, he recorded have made was, your knife doesn't appear to be very sharp. <laughs> That's the only comment he made during his amputation. <laughs> well, okay, now you guys have totally made me want to go watch this film now. Because it sounds... It sounds almost like, you know, when you're talking about the, the way the film is and it's like into the detail of the strategy between two people. Yeah. It sounds almost like a massive game of risk, which I guess is what is what yeah. the game was designed to be. But it, it, just, it just sounds like this this film really just sort of goes into that, into that sort of like what goes into making, I guess, a, a war campaign yeah. successful. I, th- I think what Sharon was saying about the thin red line against columns, the French used to fight in columns, so they yeah. have mass troops and they used to come in big columns, whereas the British would, would what they form a line, so they'd have a Almost thin like line. Almost like a wall. 
And I yeah. remember they come on, he goes, and picked in the bit there, he goes, they're coming on the same old way. And he says, yes, well, we'll meet them in the same old way. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, the joy with Wellington is he'd scouted the ground like ages before. So when all yeah. the artillery was firing, they, they ducked behind a hill. Yeah. And that's when the cavalry, the French thought, oh my God, they, they're retreating, they're retreating. And that's when all the cavalry went forward. And, and the and Napoleon lost rest, his cavalry. Yeah. <laughs> so... And, and Wellington, uh, Wellington, when he fought in India, he decided that any time he fought a battle, he would make sure he knew what the ground was. So, yeah. so, and I'm guessing that the the this was probably one of the last f- films in which we got like you know the whole cast of thousands thing. It was so. Russian Russian money and Russian people. Yeah, it was the Russian, the Russian yeah, director, the Russians, wasn't it? Yeah, lots of yeah. Russian actors. The actor who plays General Blucher, he yeah, was yeah. A play, played by a Russian. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm one of these sad people that actually played Waterloo when uh, we with, with some friends we did like little model soldiers 25 millimeter soldiers and we oh, actually yeah. did the battle of Waterloo and and it was still I mean the French they, they've done it computers they've tried it and the French should have won the battle of Waterloo but uh, but the same thing happened we lost anyway against these these soldiers <laughs> that, just send the them into Hougamont send them into yeah it, it is can, so it all, they're, they're just turning hangs on mm. timing and yeah because yeah it's all because there's something there. similar in the Second World War, like the, how one of the key battles that led to the fall of the Nazi uh, uh, the Nazi challenge was essentially that the Germans should have won it. The Nazis should have won it, but something happened and they didn't. Yeah, that whole what what is it that happens during a battle that it was changes Ben Affleck, it? wasn't it? I'm pretty sure. Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can all, we can always <laughs> always rely on you to just lower the tone <laughs> by bringing in Ben Affleck. <laughs> but it's curious, isn't it? Amazing battle like Waterloo. There's only really been one major film about it. Well, there's, well, there's, yeah. a, there's a few foreign films that's been made with some of the big battles. There's, there's a famous one called Austerlitz, which yes, is for the, the Russians. Free, um, that's that's mm. like West German. 1805. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. Um, yeah. Right. So. Uh, I think now I look at it, I'm actually quite sad. I can't give you guys more time to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm actually really. I, I, th- I feel no, like no, I, need, I need to apologise to you guys. I think we need to apologise to you guys to just sort of say uh, we should have given you a bit more time for that. I'm so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we tried to rush it a bit, but that's okay. Yeah, but yeah, no, 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 no. Film, Next there be, be yeah. another. I'm sure there'll be another anniversary in another hundred <laughs> years. <laughs> we'll be here, be here in another hundred years doing the same. <laughs> well, we we'll just show. have to save up. Like, it's Adjun Corps as well this year, so we'll have to think <laughs> yeah, of something yeah, to celebrate about Adjun Corps. I'll tell you what. Okay, I'll tell you what. How about how about if we just have a screening of Waterloo? We sit down and we have a screen of Waterloo introduced by Sean with, no we'll do like a, an audio commentary yeah. on Waterloo yeah. with, with Sean and um, Sharon that'd be cool <laughs> but thanks thanks so much for that guys Joe it is time for your first clue right okay so uh, we talked a little bit about a movie legend earlier on the wonderful Christopher Lee uh, today's screen legend made seven films with Christopher Lee Okay. You're not going to throw me off on this again. I've got one in my mind, which is the one that we really, really want to think of, and then in the last one it'll be something. So, seven films with Christopher Lee. Seven films with Christopher Lee. No, cool. I was actually, I was, you know, I was toying with just asking that today, could the answer to every question just be Christopher Lee, please? <laughs> <laughs> but okay, but this is close. This is good. Seven films with Christopher Lee. All right. We will get. We will continue throughout the show. I think Joe has at least three more clues for us, and um, we. I only invite you to play along as well and see if you can figure out what Joe is trying to torture us with before he gets to the end and reveals it. Now, um, today uh, on this show, we have a pet ward in the hospital, which is Alveston. Hello, Alveston. Yeah, hello, Alveston. Hello, Alveston. (laughs) And um, 
every Friday before the show goes on, about two hours before the show goes on, I go around and I ask patients there two questions. Number one, uh, what was the earliest film you can remember going to the cinema for? And number two, uh, what was it? Uh, what's your favorite film that you've ever seen? <laughs> Today, oh, in Alveston, everybody who is in Alveston at the moment had either just come back from an operation or was heading to one. So I popped into the neighborhood, Luckumb, where I met Robert Smart, who had this to say when I asked him about one of his earliest cinema-going experiences. Ben-Hur, I'd say. That's going back a few years ago. And that was a very early one. I went with some friends. We used to go twice a week at one time to the theatre, to the cinema or other. And that's what I can really say about it. It's a good, good. I mean, it's a long, long show, but that's about it, really. Cool. So, um, for Ben Hur, wait, is that because there's been a couple of versions? Is that the Charlton Heston version? Yeah, it was the first version that it was the first one out. Okay. But it was the, I mean, the gladiators were good. You know, they meant the race, the, the, the racing was good on it. Was it. I remember the two, the ones with the things on the side. That's all I can really say. It's very good. We, we thoroughly enjoyed it. But, I mean, we, we used to go twice a week. So, you know, it was that one. Then we went to another one some, somewhere else. I can't remember what the other ones were. You know, we used to go on Tuesday and a Friday. And it was just, a, it was just something to do for the evening. That was really about it, <laughs> you know. Cool, did it ever make you think, oh, we need to go get a chariot now, we need to go have our own race? Oh, no, no, it didn't make me do that sort of thing at all. It just, it just made me think, think I'd like to, you know, I wouldn't like to be in that, in that age anyway, because of the, my age. I mean, my age now, and I'm now, it's, you know, it's just, I wouldn't fancy being that, I wouldn't fancy being in that, those, year, those ages, those years anyway. It looked like it was too much for hard, like hard work. <laughs> That's it for a second stirring soundtrack of the day. That was the overture to Ben Hur. What a fantastic, fantastic score. I really wish you guys could have been here. You should just have seen Joe. Joe was like lost. Yeah. I Joe was out of it there. I was, I was, <laughs> Joe yeah. was away with it. Joe was away with the song. Wow. So, I mean, Ben Hur, what's more? Charlton Heston. <laughs> it's basically the Chuck. definition of epic, isn't it? There is nothing that defines mm. epic yeah. more than Ben Hur. Really. And, and, and funny, really, Ben Hur. I mean, it's okay film, but I, 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 it. I think it's funny. I feel about right. Waterloo the way I know, you feel I about know. Ben Hur. <laughs> I know. I don't mind Ben Hur. I think uh, my the, the person who I think still is it is Stephen Boyd. Uh, yes. He plays Masala. I think he's. Uh, but then he was he was always a cowboy film, always a baddie and cowboy. Film. Likes his chicken tikka. That guy. He does, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. He does. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't get it I don't even care I'm even going to ask <laughs> his name's Masala oh good lord yeah. oh but <laughs> I was thinking Boyd what does it have to do with <laughs> great film. huge yeah. film when do you think you think it can't get any bigger it just gets bigger it's huge well, yeah, I think that's, that's the thing about it. I mean, we were talking, I was talking about Waterloo and I was saying about all the cast of thousands and Ben-Hur is one of those films that more or less defined that 
that that phrase a cast that of thousands epic. was built for yep yeah so and um the, the thing about it i always found funny is that the, it's based on a book originally or a story and yeah. it's called ben-hur it's like a story of the christ mm. yeah and i know that like growing up in church and stuff a lot of people would try to grab ben-hur and treat and sort of like claim it as oh it's a christian story it's all about that. and i remember watching it and going i don't get it well uh, it's we, a story you, about a guy called ben-hur who happened to be living around the same time as christ and yeah and that's all it is and and yeah, in both versions of the film because he made it twice, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very much. Was that same. was that Demille? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he meets him. Cecil B. Demille. He, he meets him a few he times. Yeah, yeah. Like particular times moments. Now, yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I think that there's one bit where he comes face to face with Jesus, where Jesus gives him like a, a like gives him a drink. Yeah, when he's been enslaved, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. And then and he returns the favor when he's carrying the cross, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, that symmetry. Oh yeah, that happens. And you isn't he there? The sermon on the mount. Yeah, just after the sermon. There's a bit on the sermon on the mount. You see like. You see, you see a sermon going on in the in distance with That's Jesus it. on the thing and all that. His life intersects with the, with the story of Jesus. That's I, the whole I, point. I, I, yeah. know I, really just think it, I just didn't think it played a massive part in it. Yeah. I think a thing that everybody loves a chariot race, and that is fantastic. No doubt. But actually, the sea battle where I like the rowing, Jack Hawkins, the, the rowing, the, and the, and the, yeah. the galleys yeah. and the slaves, I think that's a that's a really major bit it that is. sometimes gets overlooked. Yeah, but totally. But that's because it just the film continually throws more and more at yeah. you. So you remember that bit, but then something else happens, and then yeah. you remember that bit, and something else happens. Yeah. So these great bits do get forgotten because they, the the, the chariot chariot scene was iconic. So you forget an equally brilliant scene just because it followed the chariot scene. <laughs> and and, uh, and as as the as Robert was saying in the thing, uh, it does go on for a while. It is. What, what's the film like? What four hours long or something? It's not quite four hours, but it's pretty long. It's over three though. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It, yeah. Uh, who was uh, the composer there, Tozen? <laughs> I don't have a clue. Ah, I just wondered if you could pronounce his name. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm going to have a go. I think it's Miklos Rosa or Roscoe. Or, I don't know. Roscoe. Miklos Roscoe. Yeah, we'll go with that. It's we'll great. Go. He's great. Either way. <laughs> well, well no, either, Oscars, way, either way. Yeah. It won in, uh, 11 Oscars. 11 Oscars. It was nominated for 14 and it won 11. If, if, I'm getting a bit of deja vu here because I think we've actually spoken about this film before on the show. Well, I think we should speak about it yeah. again. On the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the early ones. Yeah, because yeah, I'm thinking of because I've, I was th- I'm thinking about like, hang on a second. I was about to say something that I think I've said before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is yeah, yeah, I've said it before. But I'll say that again anyway because talking about the um, the score by our friend, it's just it just sets you up for knowing. Okay, I'm about to see something of. Like you know, something monumental, something of. Oh, I think it may substance. be the Ten Commandments that we talked about. Possibly was it? No, no, no. I think it's no. definitely. I remember. We, we, I remember. And one of the really early shows. Yeah, one of the really sure early shows. I remember that the yeah. picture, the picture that we actually put up on up Facebook, on Facebook. Yeah, was that, that was of them in the galley, which is what makes me think. I'm sure we've spoken about this. We have. <laughs> Tune in next week for more Ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's okay. Got... We can talk about films again. We spoke about Christopher Lee again. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Wait, wait. If it is anything we talk about, we can talk about for hours on this show. Um. So yeah, but Ben Hur, great ben film. Good, go really, watch really it. Good film, yeah. Some some good actors in it as well. Go find it somewhere. Just yeah. wait for the well, next bank holiday wait to come around. Bank holiday, yeah. Be on one of them. <laughs> it'll be it'll be somewhere on ITV, spread over two days. <laughs> <laughs> they do but, show it all, and I don't know if it is a cut down version. What do you? Th- I, I tell you what, the chariot scenes. I've got to mention Gladiator here. Did you like the there's the battle when? Oh, they, the battle where they're yeah, in the yeah where the chariots where yeah. They, that's, I remember that. Sorry, just, no, no, uh, no, no. just yeah. it brought to mind the, the chariots at Gladiator. That's quite a good one. Well, yeah, but the truth so is it's that... it's an influential film then, isn't it, really? Yeah. You can say it's an epic and it was influential because it has influenced how we see those, those arena games. events and that sort of yeah. Coliseum type yeah, thing, uh, haven't we? Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think you can make a film with a chariot in it without somebody thinking about Ben-Hur. Unless they're made of fire. 
That did, no, no. <laughs> Joe, I've only got one thing to say to you, and that is... <laughs> well, Sean just said, but you know, we talked about Christopher Lee again, and uh, what I'd quite like to do now is uh, talk about Christopher Lee again. This screen legend not only appeared in seven films with Christopher Lee, but actually shared the same dentist as uh, the horror star Christopher Lee. <clears throat> Cool. Good. Cool. Okay. Yeah, we got that. I'm, I haven't Good. changed my mind. I'm still going to go with what I think. Of course you are. All right. Cool. <laughs> and then you're going to throw me at the end. Oh. Ooh. People are stumbling towards my trap. Oh. I probably have fallen into it actually. I'm, I'm really hoping this one, uh, one of your. Um, I'm actually totally clueless, but I just had a I just had a name pop into my head, which I think might be right. He, he never played Doctor Who, did he, Joe? <laughs> hey, that's my he trap. Wasn't one of the, uh, what you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Was it Ron Moody? No, hang on, hang on. Oh, good lord. Okay, now, <laughs> now anybody, anyone of. As now, as anyone who has been listening to this show, who has listened to at least three episodes of this show, will know, it is an understatement to say that Joe is a massive Alfred Hitchcock fan. Something we have sarcastically pointed out <laughs> in the past. But this week, I actually requested that Joe indulge in this particular predilection of his. I thought he was kidding. <laughs> Joe, Joe couldn't believe what happened. He thought like Christmas had just arrived. Yeah. So, Joe, could you tell us what film are we going to be talking about this week? This film is quite often uh, referred to as probably Hitchcock's first masterpiece. Some people say it's uh, his best American film. Um, quite a lot of uh, you know fairly fantastic things thrown about when talking about this film. It's not my favourite, but it is undoubtedly a fantastic movie. It is, of course, 1943's Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, cool. So I just want to tell us a little bit about what the story is and all that. Okay, well, there's, uh, there's a, a lady, Charlotte Newton, who's actually called Charlie for short. That's quite important. She's bored with her life um, and her parents and a younger sister. It's all sort of getting a bit much. Wishes something exciting would happen. There's this whole sort of trying, the family's not quite good enough and that sort of idea. Uh, and decides that what they need is a visit from the sophisticated uncle who's actually called Charlie Oakley. So you immediately you're picking up on this this idea of duality, Charlie Oakley and and, um, uh, and and her name being the same, and invites him to come and stay, and things. It's very hard to talk about this film without spoiling. <laughs> it is very hard to talk about it without spoiling. It is. It I is quite hard. I don't want to say the outcome. If it's outcome. been around since 1943. No, no, no because no, if you no, haven't no, seen no, it, no, you no, have no, to. No, no, it's, no. It's, oh, okay, you know, okay. One yeah. of Hitchcock's great. So. And I have to say, I haven't seen it. Uh, I would I would actually agree with I would agree with Joe on that. I, I think know. especially when it comes to Hitchcock, I should check it out. It doesn't matter how old the film is, you do not give spoilers. Okay. <laughs> a film that's as well crafted crafted as that needs. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's, I think about it because I, I started watching it the other day. Uh, I started watching it the other day, and it's um the the funny thing about it is that there's a whole bunch of things in it where you you get this whole I get this idea from the film that it's kind of like well when I watch most Hitchcock movies, I think. A lot of it is him playing around with the sensors of the time and essentially pushing the envelope to see what he can get away with. And he does he does all these different things like the whole relationship between Charlie and Uncle Charlie. I mean, Joe, you've got to admit it's a bit weird. It is weird. There's a lot of weirdness <laughs> in this film. You can and a lot of I'm not going to go into detail here, but a lot of readings in it are, are quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, in, in, a, in a sort of within the family kind of way. I mean, I don't, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah. But. But it's it's great, and and I don't without spoiling it. Charlie isn't necessarily the nicest uncle in the world. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, that Charlie Charlie isn't necessarily the nicest uncle in the world, and little Charlie 
there's something weird about her obsession with her uncle. Yeah, that's right. With, with her obsession and the way that she does it, like the scenes where she's walking out in town, like she's on her uncle's arm, and she's and you can see like all the girls are looking at her uncle, and you can see that she's she's kind of like, oh yeah, just look, at, they're all looking at me because I'm with you, Uncle Charlie, and yeah, all but, that kind of stuff, and you're kind of like. But Joseph Cotton is suave and sophisticated, yeah, yeah. man. You want to hang out? I'd want to hang on his arm if I was walking around Newport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem, no problem. But if he was your uncle. Uh, it's Joseph Cotton. I'd still be cool with that. But <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Mm. But it would be a bit weird that you'd be so like, you know, so like, hey, or that you'd be happy for people to think that you were with them. In exactly. A it seems to be what she wants, isn't it? it seems to be. What yeah, she exactly. Wants, yeah. It seems like if she had, if somebody her age, you know, came along who looked exactly like her uncle and acted exactly like her uncle, she would be. And I think Hitchcock plays with that, and he does that. And there's 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 little touches he has in the film, like her two younger siblings. But these are the weirdest little they're the smartest little kids and there's a lot of times when it feels to me like it's almost Alfred Hitchcock commenting on his own film using these two kids to actually do it mm. like there's there's like you know that in the past you've talked about how scared Hitchcock was about authority and everything like that yeah and there's a scene where they're around a dinner table and he the scene where they're around a dinner table and oh whoa and uh, Uncle Charlie is talking about it because their father works in the bank and he's like, oh, I'm going to come put some money in your bank and everything like that. And the kid, who's like the youngest all of them, goes like, he's not going to see any of it. The government's going to come and take all this money away. Yeah, that's right. Hitchcock's uh, there in the corner going, yeah, the authorities trying to get you again. Watch exactly. out for the, the, the man. So know, they're it, like it, a little Greek chorus, like truth tellers. Yeah. Essentially, that's what it, because the first time the, the little girl shows up, she's one of, she's the first member of this family you see. And she, and the uh, she just has this sort of constant almost stream of consciousness where she just keeps talking and talking and talking and there's the kind of things that you would not expect an eight-year-old to say yeah and it so seems, they it are seems, eyes into the film because often there's a character that becomes the audience so they're saying what the, the audience should be thinking they're not kind of in it enough to do that regularly not it's right. just at this, these particular points where yeah they, they show up and, and it, it's a, it feels a lot more like it's the filmmaker trying to shoe or on in yeah. what he thinks about what's going it's like, yeah it's kind of it's weird it's like it's like watching a director's commentary on his own film within the film okay well Would i'm i'm, I'm I, I shall have to see it now because i was just looking and it was shot in a place called santa rosa yeah that's right and and a, I, I lived in santa rosa for a little, obviously it would have changed that. quite a lot but yeah. it'd be interesting to see because i should imagine the main if the main drag's called mendocino avenue it probably might still be there you know well, yeah, I think the, the house it's filmed in is actually a tourist destination, ah. which is like one of these big, is one of these big, I'm guessing, sort of California type places because the, the well, it's, it's pointed out that um, Uncle Charlie is quite well off. The family's not as well off, but they're still quite well off. They're kind of people who, like, you know, probably send their children out for, you know, Jim Connors and stuff like that, mm. or whatever the American version of that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is so Joe. Even though you say you don't like this, this no, was, no, no, I didn't say I didn't like it at all. You say it was your favorite. Sorry. I just said it's not my favorite. But when you're dealing with the guy that, that made ba basically the best films ever made, you know, it's not. You can't all be your favorite. It's a fantastic film. It's, uh, it's tense. It's exciting. You, I mean, you say you watched st the start of it. I'm surprised you managed to turn it off without oh, wanting to. I, I had to come. I had to come do this show. Oh right, I see. And oh. I was also falling asleep. Well, why did you do that? You should have just. I don't finish the film. <laughs> no, the thing is that seriously, it, it 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 is building up. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where some people have shown up who are looking for who are looking for Uncle Charlie, and they think Uncle Charlie might be not who he says he is, and they're speaking to Little Charlie and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So you can see that there's going to be this whole thing about like your. I, well, I'm guessing it's looking like it's setting up like you know your idols and what are they actually like and looking behind the curtain and realizing who they really are and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I've heard this film described as a cross between It's a Wonderful Life and Blue Velvet. 
Which is a weird combination. I, I, could, re- I could really see it. I yeah. could see it. Because it's 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 quite a psychological film. And mm. I think it's one of those things. I always thought that one of the things that makes Hitchcock a master is the fact that he has this balance between he knows how to get you psychologically. He knows how to do stuff in a film that it just seems normal. It looks like, oh, they're just having a dinner. But afterwards, you walk away feeling very uneasy. And you're like, mm. what just happened there? Why is that going nowhere? Why is that guy showing up? Well, <laughs> it's something to watch out for when you do go back and finish it. As you're watching, try and think of how many uh, references to duality or, or doubles there are in it. Mm. Obviously, the two the two characters we talked about are both called Charlie. Yeah. Um, there are two scenes on a train which are, which are relevant. There are two... Um, I'm not going to tell them all to spoil everything, but think how many things occur twice. Are there two random dance scenes that don't seem to actually fit in with the rest of the film? Well, yeah. <laughs> they do, <laughs> but, but yes, it's true. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see how those things actually fit into the rest of There's the film. There's a lot of doubles because all over I'm like, the film. I'm like, what? The, what? Why did they do that? Why did they? That, what? The, okay. uh, the blue, blue velvet references, obviously you scratch the surface of society, you see all this kind of weird stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see if you just looked at it. Everything looks fine and idyllic and it's, it's not. Yeah. With this, it's sort of applied to the family group. Mm-hmm. A family seems okay. Charlie seems like you know the the uncle that, that everyone wants to hang out with, and, and it's not like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, th- there is one particular line that I quite liked early on in the film where um, Uncle Charlie gets to the house and he throws his hat into the bed, and the, no, he's about to throw his hat into the bed, and then the father's like, "No, no, 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 don't do that!" And Uncle Charlie's like, "What?" He's like, "He's like, what? You're superstitious?" He's like, "No, no, no, I just don't believe in inviting trouble." It's <laughs> <That's laughs> nice, I like that. And, and you're like, you're like, oh, Alfred, <laughs> you. Yeah. Do you reckon he had any input into his scripts? Who, Alfred Hitchcock? Yeah. Very much so, yeah. His wife wrote the script for this one. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, in that case, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's right, well, she co-wrote it, yeah. Okay, okay maybe maybe it's that with that. All right, so the reason I actually asked for this particular film become because we have a final section of the show is usually one called Exception to the Rule, where we talk about a modern-day film that we think is just as, well, can stand up to old-style films. And there's a film that we'll be talking about in a second that has quite a few links you talk about duality and all that kind of stuff with um with shadow of a doubt but before we get there third clue please joe this screen legend aside from appearing in so many films with christopher lee and sharing the same dentist as christopher lee appeared in two movies which both won best film at the oscars I love the fact that there are so oh, many people who have got an easy way out of this and they're so going to take it. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Good. We shall come back for the final clue in very, very soon. But now, the film that we're going to talk about as an exception to the rule, and this is something, Sean, because we're in show. Sean, you'd had the operation yesterday. Wasn't sure whether you were going to be here with us today. So I decided to do something that Sean usually does and pick an exception to the rule that links to a film that we talked about earlier. And this film is called Stoker. And it's a film which is uh, was released a couple of years ago. It is um, it's a, it's released a couple of years ago. It's written by a guy called Wentworth Miller, which people would know from being in Prison Break, which is actually quite a bit of a shock to a lot of people. They're like, the guy who wrote Prison Break wrote this. It was on the blacklist in Hollywood. In that it was one of the it was on the ten most sought after unproduced screenplays. And it's uh, Sharon. You said you've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and it has. And the guy is he heavily references Shadow of a Doubt. He says, "Yeah, this was an influence on the film." 
because it's set in one of these big sort of mansions, just yeah. like Shadow of the Doubt is. It's set all around a family and all about the family relationships. And Uncle Charlie shows up. Yeah. <laughs> and an Uncle Charlie, and this Uncle Charlie has quite a weird relationship with the teenage daughter yeah, of the family. Yeah, this intense claustrophobic relationship it's actually, with the niece. Are they actually called Uncle Charlie in the film? Yeah, the guy's actually called Uncle Charlie. Oh, right, so it's not just similar to uh, Shadow of a Doubt, they're actually directly referencing it. No, they're, they're directly referencing it. The, yeah. the direct the, the writer went with Miller. He says, he says, yeah, Shadow of a Doubt was a jumping off point, and so much so that he calls the character Uncle Charlie. Uh, I've never seen Stoker. I might, might have to do that. No, I, th- I think you'll like it, man. I, mm. I, I think knowing a little bit about your film choice, I think you would really, really, really like Stoker. And they, they has the whole thing, like, you know how um, Uncle Charlie shows up in Shadow of a Doubt and starts giving everybody gifts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he gives gifts to the, he, he gives gifts and Charlie's like, oh, I don't really want any gift from you. There's something similar to that in Stoker, where on her birthday every year, she, she gets this gift. She gets a new pair of shoes, but she's never sure who, the, who this new pair of shoes come from and all that kind of stuff. And it's when you talk about what goes on behind the scene in the family, and it's it, Stoker is very much about... These people look successful. They look happy. They look all that kind of stuff. But if you scratch the surface and you see mm. secrets that they've been hiding behind the and all yeah. that, and just a bit like um, a bit like a uh, shadow of a doubt, to speak too much about it is to give too much away. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because it, it goes in a different direction qu- quite quickly, doesn't it? It goes in a Things different direction. Things you think is going to happen, you suddenly go, "Whoa, I didn't see that coming." Th- yeah. Is there a finale on a train? No. Oh, there is unfortunately no train. Okay. There's unfortunately no train, although there is quite a there's quite an important scene in uh in a four by four. Okay. <laughs> there's right. quite oh the, oh the finale, but the finale has to do with a car that belongs to Uncle Charlie. That's all I that's all I'll say I'm, about I'm it. I'm very intrigued about this. It sounds quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. But, but you were talking about Joseph Cotton, Uncle Charlie in Stoker, who's played by Matthew Good, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. Who very good English actor. Yeah. And. He's again. He shows up, and he's like the perfect guy, isn't he? Yeah. He's got the car. He's got the look. He's got the looks, and he, the niece is like, "Whoa, Uncle Charlie." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Oh man, we don't have enough time to actually talk about this in any. No. <laughs> anyway, but what I've decided to do, what I what I thought I'll do is, we're going to play a, li- a a music, some music from, uh, some music from Stoker, and just like a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of uh, weeks ago, we did. Um, the guest we spoke about the guest on on the show and there was a piece of music that we played from it that really just sort of like encapsulated the film I think this this piece of music doesn't really tell you much but the mood of the piece of music kind of almost tells you the kind of mood that they go for in the film Stoker so here is Becomes the Color by Emily Wells Uh, almost out of time and so <laughs> all I would just say is like okay this film Stoker the I think that there's some you know I was talking about the censors uh, earlier during Hitchcock's years and I reckon that there's some things that they could get away with in this film and they could go in this film and they could do that Hitchcock either had to put into war- words or had to put like kids into the film to sort of mouth what he was really thinking about it and I think that this film is actually a lot quieter than that. It just it does a lot of stuff with like quiet stares and quiet moments and all that kind of stuff. And I would recommend it, not for everybody, not for those who are 
weak of stomach, I would say. <laughs> but still. No, I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, still, it's a it's a very, very good film. And I think it's one of the best films that has been made in the past five years. So, on a show on which we are reminded about the fleeting yet amazing nature of life, here's us praying that you get well soon, that you get home, and that you remember that as you make memories with loved ones, that they just don't make them like they used to. Quiz, quiz. Oh, good luck, quiz! Quiz. Oh, we're gonna have to do that online, man. We've run out of time. Okay, actually, okay, quick. Okay, Joe, okay. just go for it. Quick, 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 quick. Do you want quick. one more clue or the answer no, or what? Oh, uh, one more clue, quick, quick. and then we'll okay. all go with the quicker fire I'm answers. the biggest star this country has got destroy me and you destroy the whole British film industry. Ollie Reed. Ooh. I was going to go Peter Cushing. Mm. But that, I think that's I was f- going to go Ian McLennan. Oh, good lord. Okay, quick, Joe, what is it? Sean got it right. Hey! Well done, well done. Okay, thank you very much. We've taken up way too much time and we will see you now. And now tune in for the Great Country Vectors Media Show. <laughs> Goodbye.